0: scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jude verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey family, cheat with me today? Right in my lap. So what's up guys? I'm supposed to stay behind that line but it never happens so it's us three this us four this morning Uh, it's good to see everybody how's the uh, autumn air treating you so y'all see y'all rocking your yoga pants and your pumpkin spice latte yeah Uh, the weather's changing in October November if you're new to Okinawa they're my two favorite months Um, still warm still sunny it feels just a little bit like autumn, where I come from, and uh, a little bit, but it's, it's beautiful. Uh, sadly, typhoon season has probably passed us by again in an uneventful way, but w- there's always next year. We look for next year. Yeah. Why don't we pray, and we'll get right down to work this morning. Father, we thank you for bringing us all here today. Um, I know we all come from different weeks, different circumstances, diverse backgrounds, but one thing, several things that we all have in common is we are created by you and for you and whether we have turned to Jesus as our rescuing king yet or not, we all uh, live by your sustaining grace. Every breath that we take and every uh, beat of our heart And uh, so, Father, I pray this morning that we, every one of us, would see you not only as Father, but as good and kind, and we would see Jesus as our older brother, rescuing King, creator, uh, the one who suffered and died in our place, taking the judgment that we deserve so that we could have his innocence and be adopted in as sons and daughters, and that we would know the Spirit's empowering presence, and have hearts that receive joy and peace uh, through your presence, Spirit, and through your work that we are so dependent on. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So a podcast that I used to listen to, used to to be one of my weekly podcasts, Um, kind of on a podcasting hiatus right now, but Um, they would always wrap up their long-form podcasts with one of them would just say, it was the same guy every time, three guys, and he'd he'd stop them and he'd say something like, well, boys, over the last hour, we have wandered to and fro. And then he would kind of mark where they had wandered to and fro. So family, uh, over the last five weeks, we have wandered to and fro through Jude's letter, hopefully more to than fro Uh, How do they say? Not all who wander are lost. So hopefully our wandering through Jude did not feel like lost wandering. Um, But we've wandered to and fro through Jude's letter. And uh, let's just kind of mark where we've been and recap big ideas, main theme through Jude before we consider the last big idea from the letter. And maybe these words will be helpful for you. I know we've talked all along, all along, we've reversed that order, forever kept, but just to keep it all sounding the same, kept forever, uh, as the theme of Jude's letter. That's how he opens, and that's how he closes. And the reminder is that God the Father is not in the business of foster care. Now, no matter how noble foster care is and necessary in our broken world, it's beautiful, uh, God the Father doesn't practice foster care, he only pr- he practices adoption. When he rescues a rebel and welcomes them as a son or a daughter into his family, he says over them, you are my deeply loved son, I'm well pleased in you because of Jesus' work on your behalf, and you are forever kept. Now, that alone is paradigm shifting for some of you, depending upon your background in Christianity or perhaps you're new to the faith and you'd been led to understand that there's something you needed to do to make yourself right with God or there was something that you needed to keep on doing to keep God happy with you and in the family. Otherwise, He would give up on you or kick you out. And the Gospel very gently sits us down and says, no, that's not the case. Every imperfect son or daughter is perfectly kept, fully loved, fully forgiven, um, and fully accepted in the family because of Jesus. Okay, so forever kept. That's our theme and the first two words that we want to remember. And then in order, sorry, bring that back. We went common, contend, and uh, let's start with the word common. What we saw was we have a common salvation because of our uncommon Savior, Jesus, uh, we have this salvation in common for a couple of reasons. It's common because Jesus is the only way. If, if there were other ways beyond Jesus to be reconciled with God, it wouldn't be a common salvation because we would all have different ways, different approaches. But it's common because it's he is the only one. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is our common salvation. We share This faith in Jesus. And that's a good reminder because oftentimes as Christians, we focus more of our energy or attention on what separates us or divides us. And Jude actually calls us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to give others, other Christians, the benefit of the doubt and to not focus on what is different between us, but to focus on what we share in common in the person and work of Jesus. So we're kept forever, we have a common salvation. Then we learned about contending. We learned that uh, it is necessary for us to contend because, just in a brief summary, God in his grace as a gift has given us limits within which we, we are to live, and not only to live, but we flourish, we come to life within those good, they're good limits, they're for our good. But there were people among these churches that Jude says were perverting the grace of God and leading people to view those limits not as good and kind, but as oppressive and repressive and backwards and not keeping with the times. And so they would reject those limits and um, even call into question God's goodness in those limits and lead Christians to live a life beyond the limits of God's grace. Right? They were perverting the gospel of God's grace. And so Jude says, look, your church family is supposed to be A beautiful, safe harbor where people can find rest, restoration, and reconciliation. And it will be insofar as you contend for the faith and you joyfully live within the good limits that God has given you. He talked about limits as it relates to their sexuality, identity, and expression, but in all of life. He said, but if your church begins to move beyond those limits or disparage them, you will cease to be a beautiful place. Your family will cease to be a safe harbor, and there will be no redemption or rest. So contend for the faith. And then last week, we learned about the word keep. Uh, The word keep kind of answers the question, all right, Jude, great, how do we contend for the faith? And it was very simple, remember? Jude started out by saying, I want you to remember the warnings of the apostles. Why? So we don't freak out. Jude's basically saying the apostles warned 2,000 years ago that in every generation, in every church, there would be people who question the authority of Jesus, question the goodness of God, question the reliability of the scripture, question the existence of these good limits, and... Lead. they themselves would press and they would lead others to live beyond the good limits that god has given us she was like don't freak out about that it's not the end of the world it's it's common it always has been and it always will be until jesus returns so instead of freaking out and focusing all of your attention on these people and living like the sky is falling rather just work hard to keep yourself or to remain in god's love as a family and the way that we do that, do you remember how we remain in God's love? There's just three things. We build each other up on the foundation of our most holy faith, the gospel, right? We stay on the foundation of the gospel together, and we build each other up. We pray in the Spirit for each other. And together as a community, we learn to reorient our hope ultimately on Jesus instead of people, places, circumstances, or things. And that's Jude's letter. That's it. You got it. That's, that is essentially Jude's letter, except for the final piece today. And the word that we will focus in on today is care. And here's our big idea from the text that Grant already read for us. We'll read the two verses one more time again. Uh, Any of you, for those of you who are around during the summer, remember our uh, Ordinary People Gospel Power series? And we had kids reading every week. And remember their passages were like 400 verses long? (laughs) And as soon as we finish the kid series, we go to Jude, where like the average public scripture reading is two to three verses, and we're just handing them off to adults. Like, hey, okay, read this. So kids, if you're in the room and you tackled one of those incredibly long, not only long, but they were full of hard words, uh, we didn't necessarily do that on purpose to torture you. And, and I just want to commend you again for your bravery and your work, it felt torturous, didn't it? Listen, speak, speak for every mom in the room. Right? Yeah. There was there were some rough moments. There were some rough moments, yeah. So I guess I'm issuing a public apology. I think that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Thank you. Next year we'll do it differently, okay? We'll 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 still include the kids, but we'll find a way to tag team with adults or something something. Something. We'll we'll change it up. All right, here's our big idea. When family members doubt, deconstruct, and distance, Jesus calls us to kindness, not condemnation. When family members doubt, deconstruct, and distance, Jesus calls us to kindness, not condemnation. If you like outlines, here's the way that we'll break our passage down and some ideas that we'll consider this morning related to the big idea. Uh, First, digression. We'll just look briefly. We've already seen that Jude is all about digressions. He likes patterns. He usually uses patterns of three. He uses one today. Uh, We're going to see briefly the repercussions where doubt turns into deconstruction and deconstruction turns into a distancing from the God who is good. So how do we respond when this happens in our family? Well, the same way we respond to anything else in life, we look to our dad, we look to our father to see his character, to see how he responds and to hear how he calls us to respond, and there's, there's our answer. So that's what we'll do this morning. And then finally, deconstruction is kind of a popular word. Some people love to hate it. Um, everything that is wrong in the world is related to deconstruction. Uh, some of you, some people have come to appreciate the word deconstruction. It has some nuance to it. So I just want to lead us as a family briefly to consider some of that nuance. I want to show you how some deconstruction is... Necessary for your soul. It's important. I want to show you how some deconstruction is going to seek you out and happen to you, whether you want it to or not, whether you want to deconstruct. And then we'll consider kind of a third aspect of deconstruction, and it's really the aspect that Jude hones in on how deconstruction can happen in a very unhealthy and dangerous way, and how the consequences for your soul are profound and, and worthy of our consideration, okay? So digression, dad, and deconstruction. And if you prefer pictures instead of words, I can show you my uh, journal later today because I just, I just used the pictures. But there's the words for you. So let's consider repercussions in our first, uh, first line of thinking under digression. And as we do, let me just read our two verses again. Do I have a kid? Any kid want to read the two verses? <laughs> A little redemption. All right, verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So we see here in in Jude another another digression. Like we already mentioned, he loves patterns of three. Uh, Throughout the letter, we've seen... Multiple patterns of three, and he likes to show digression. Usually, if you remember, the digression that he was working to show us was related to look, life is as it's meant to be when you live within God's limits that are an act of kindness from Him, and therefore you're flourishing. But as you digress away, here's what's going to happen as you digress further, and then eventually you step beyond. God's kind limits. He's been showing us that pattern of digression all along. And this one's very similar. Uh, Three key words. The first key word is doubt, right? That's kind of the first step in the digression. Now, um, I'm not throwing shade at doubting, and Jude is not throwing shade at doubting. We'll break this down a little bit uh, in a few minutes. There are healthy ways to doubt, and there are unhealthy ways to doubt. And Um, you probably should be working through the exercise of doubting some things in your soul. Okay, so we'll kind of consider healthy and unhealthy ways to doubt in a moment. But first, just kind of the the meaning of that word, to doubt, basically indicates an internal argument that's going on in your soul. There is conflict, maybe what you have always thought to be true, now you're not sure about. Maybe something in life has happened to rattle you or rock you. Uh, For whatever reason, there is this this internal doubt, it's a debate going on within your own soul, and it's creating turmoil in your life. And so in Jude's context, what he's saying is there were a lot of people in the church who were beginning to doubt because they were so influenced by those who were rejecting the limits that God had given in his kindness. And so I imagine their doubts were related to, well, I don't, is, is there really a God? Is God actually just? Is he actually kind? Is he actually loving? Are these limits real and from God, or are they socially constructed to make me just obey and conform, right? Lots of doubts. And so for Jude, this digression would be the doubts would be seed form, right, that are being planted in the soil. And if those doubts go unchecked in an unhealthy direction, here's the next step in our uh, digression. Uh, now there's a group of people that needs to be snatched out of a fire, right? So we would agree that's a digression, right? You go from doubts to needing to be snatched out of a fire. So for that category, let's call that the deconstruction, right? So we've doubted, the doubts handled in an unhealthy way have, held, have led to a deconstruction that is now leading us to a place where if we're surrounded by a caring family, we need them to intervene and and be rescued from a fire, right? So fire, we could understand uh, self-destruction, the incurring of condemnation from a just and holy God, right? Probably any combination of those ideas. And the digression continues. It began with doubt, moved to the need to be snatched from a fire, and I don't think it would be helpful for us to think too much in terms of this fire as being eternal damnation, though Jude may have that in the back of his mind. I think what he's talking about is the need to be rescued from a a fire, if you will, in this lifetime, right? Something that's threatening to destroy my soul in this lifetime. And then the next digression is to show, or to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, right? So we have doubt. We have deconstructing, and then let's call this third category a distancing, right? The the deconstructing has come full force, and it has led us now to distance ourselves from the God who created us, from his community, and to distance ourselves from the foundation upon which we are meant to live, and that is the gospel. And Jude describes the person who has distanced as having a certain stain and a stench about them that is inescapable. Let's talk what he's talking about with these clothes that are horrid. They're ha- There's something that would be hated, right? It's a stench. It's a stain. It's a pollution. Um, it made me think of Mike Rowe and his long-standing show. You guys remember it? All right. Do you guys, do kids these days, you watching that show still, or is that parents? Like, are parents watching Dirty Jobs? All right. Clearly, parents. If you're in your 20s, are you watching Dirty Jobs? All right, see, yeah, that's what I thought. Sorry, but it's all I got, all right? Um, So basically, in the show, he would apprentice himself out to the dirtiest jobs he could find and just make a TV show about it. Super compelling viewing, right? You're like, wow, that's, who would, why? Uh, Well, if you saw his paycheck, you'd probably understand why. Um, I've had a few dirty jobs. What's the dirtiest job you've ever had? Mom, (laughs) my work here is done. Would you like to finish the sermon? Because I can't. That probably trumps them all. Yeah. Uh, Let me give you my top three dirtiest. Um, Probably number one, well, from not so dirty to dirty. Uh, uh, Working on a dairy farm in high school, probably my favorite job of all time, but we had a set of barn clothes for a reason and barn boots, and they weren't allowed past certain... Thresholds in the house, right? They they were all removed at certain points, Um, and I would drive home in the truck that the farm owner basically let me. It was just a it was it was a beautiful teenage boy existence. But I would get home, and mom was not about the barn clothes or the barn boots coming into her house. There was a stench and a stain about those clothes. Um, Second dirtiest job was in college. For one summer, my wife and I lived in this. RV park on a lake in New York for snowbirds that summer times would be New York, winter times would be Florida, that kind of rhythm. And each one of them, is it called gray water? Is that what it's called? Mm. So the, all the gray water, the toilet water would drain out a little hose and into these 50-gallon drums that had been buried in the ground around the campground in like the 1960s. So you can imagine these drums now were rotting, clogging, uh, rusting. So my job all summer was to uncover the lids to these 50-gallon drums and get down in them and clean out whatever was stopping up the flow, if you will. But I have one more job that was dirtier. Yeah, oh no is right. It was another high school job. Actually, also as a young Marine. As a Lance Corporal, I also held this job until I almost got fired from the Marine Corps and realized I needed to kind of reorient my priorities. I worked at Taco Bell. And I know you want me to go into the details as to how that job trumps the other three, but I'm not gonna because some of you were planning on stopping at Taco Bell on the way home today. (laughs) Not anymore, sorry about that. That's what Jude's getting at. There is a, there is a stench and a stain. Uh, imagine your dirtiest job and imagine the stench and the stain that was carried with it. I'm listening to a book right now entitled The Things They Carried, and it's a young man's story in Vietnam, but also telling a story before he goes to Vietnam, and he worked in a, a meat processing plant, and he said the, the summer before he went to Vietnam, he was, there was a stench and a stain that never left, not only left his clothes, he could go home and bathe and shower for hours. He would get out and he would still have the stench and the stain. He said the worst part about it, in, in all his months leading up to Vietnam, he wasn't able to get one yes for a date uh, before he left because he was so foul. And so while we laugh at Taco Bell and that story, what Jude wants us to understand is when our doubts lead to deconstruction, and our deconstruction leads to distancing, and we move beyond the limits that a kind and good father have given us for our flourishing. The cumulative effect of those choices is that our soul incurs a certain stench and stain that you yourself can detect. You know it's there, and you can't get rid of it, and it begin, you can't control it either because it goes with you just like, oh boy, couldn't get a date before Vietnam, it begins to affect your relationships as well. Everything in life is affected by this stench and this stain. That's why Jude's not encouraging us to be hateful people. He's telling us to hate the effects of what this deconstruction and distancing do. Now, just one more uh, point about that before I move on is it would be tempting to read this passage and see three categories of people. Well, you're our doubters in the family. Clearly, you're the deconstructors, right? And you are the dis- you sit in the back every week anyway, right? You're, you're the distancers. And while Jude is talking about certain people, sure, like there were real people who were doubting, deconstructing, distancing, all that. I think it would be more helpful for us to think in terms of seasons of life. It's not that you doubt and I don't. We will all have seasons of doubt. It's not that I have deconstructed and you never have. We will all have seasons in life where we deconstruct. And I don't know, can anybody tell a story? From, can anybody in this room tell the story of their life and suggest that they have never distanced themselves from God? So I don't think it's helpful for us to think in terms of strictly just people, uh, but specific seasons in life probably would be better. So then the question is if we all have seasons like this, if you all work at Taco Bell, um, how should we respond as a family? And that's our next, our next uh, point. We, we look to our dad to see how sh- we should respond. So we saw Jude's digression already. Now, now let's just consider the action words that we already saw in here. Verse 22, uh, the first thing that we're commanded is to have mercy towards doubters, deconstructors, and distancers. That word mercy... Uh, is a big word. It implies kindness and sympathy. Right? So how, how, how should our family respond? As we look to our dad, how should we re- respond to doubters with kindness and sympathy? How should we respond to deconstructors? Well, there's not a different set of responses. The same, with kindness and sympathy. And how should we respond to those in our family who've taken the significant step of stepping beyond the limits and distancing themselves from the father? Well, we show them kindness and sympathy. Uh, we see kindness and sympathy. Uh, we, see, we see kind of a pursuing word, right? Save others by snatching, by snatching them out of the fire. And then again, we see show mercy. Uh, I, I, when I think about saving somebody from the fire by snatching them up, I think about my grandma, my dad's mom, who's uh, passed away. We called her Mimi. I can't tell you how many times I heard her say, son, I am going to snatch you bald-headed. Has anybody ever heard that? All right, all right. I don't think it's used that commonly anymore. But the sense of that word was, I will, like, I'm going to have to snatch you up so frequently and so aggressively by the hair of your head that you won't have any left. So that's definitely a parent kind of word and no shade moms, but that's, like, that's even more, that's like a mom word right there. So like if you wanna see this lived out and live in living color, um, I, I did this last night with my boys, but it was just the three of us boys. Build a fire in your backyard or anywhere there's a campfire. Give all the kids unlimited skewers and marshmallows and chocolate and let them, see you're already shaking your head no. And let them just make their own s'mores and swirl around the fire. The two-year-olds, the three-year-olds, the four-year-olds, all the kids. I celebrate that freedom. <laughs> Others of you in here are cringing and you're, you, 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 this is coming to life for you. But that's the image that Jude wants you to have. That our concern for each other, the motive is kindness. It's mercy, not condemnation. But that we would be so watchful and so ready to snatch you bald-headed if we feel like your doubts are growing into deconstruction in a way that you would distance yourself from the Father, step beyond the limits, and destruct. We love each other. That's the last thing that we would want, right? Right? So what is our father's posture? Kindness. What does he call us to? Kindness, not condemnation. Now, this is not a new idea here in this paragraph. Look at Jude opens and closes this way. Here's verse two on the screen for you. What does he say? May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So the culture of God's family is one that is rooted in mercy. Think kindness and sympathy. And Jude's prayer for the family is that mercy would always be multiplied to us. So that would mean when somebody's doubting, we don't, Mercy is not a carrot that we hold out on a stick to be like, if you're a good Christian, we'll be nice. You'll get more mercy. No. Mercy is multiplied as somebody doubts. Mercy is multiplied, not divided, as somebody deconstructs. Somebody from Somerton, Arizona keeps calling me. Does anybody have parents living in Somerton, Arizona? That's usually how it goes. Actually, it's a grandparent. They're like, hey, my kid's stationed in Okinawa. They're living beyond the limits. Could you go like... <laughs> They really want to come to church, so is there anybody in the room, Summerton, Arizona? I'm about to take my watch off because it keeps ringing. All right, so go call your mom or your dad or your grandparents (laughs) or something. Mercy, as members of our family, distance, not condemnation, not a withholding of mercy, but more mercy. Uh, Jude closes the letter this way, verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the Presence of his glory with great uh, joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and... What? I'm wrong there. Where is that, 25? 21, thanks. I was uh, too far down. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Right, waiting for the mercy. Right, waiting for the kindness. That's what we do. A culture, a family with a culture of kindness. We've received mercy, mercy's being multiplied, and we wait for mercy. And this isn't the only place. Some of you are familiar with that passage in Romans chapter 2, I think it's verse 4 or 5, where we learn that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So let me just ask you a question. If it was God's kindness to begin with, that got you into the family, why would it ever change that something else would keep us in or healthy? It begins with mercy, it continues with mercy, and it will conclude with mercy. Always mercy, always kindness. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why that first idea that we're forever kept should be so paradigm shifting for us because we have this sense that uh, we get kindness when we're good kids. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is even when you're really rebel kids, the Father loves you with a committed kindness that never ends. That's why, like in the New Testament, the word mercy, the word mercy is so connected with the idea of covenant in the Old Testament. Mercy. Because it's not a feeling, it's a commitment that the Father has made to his family, right? Right? And it's not just Romans. We also know that Jude, all along, he's given us head nods to the Old Testament, right? Lots of weird, obscure Old Testament references. Here's one more. It's not really explicit at all in these two verses. But I think when we read this together, you'll be like, holy cow, that's Jude 22 and 23. These are the verses we just read. So let's, let's see this. This is Zechariah. Zechariah is having a vision. He sees this guy named Joshua. Joshua's simply representative of all of God's people. Now check it out. Check out what it says. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Uh, hey, just a word about that real quick. That is Satan's job. He is the accuser of God's fame. So, some of us have been seduced by Christian leaders, podcasters, preachers, book writers, who make a living accusing other followers of Jesus, or churches, or pastors, or what have you. Uh, they make a living off accusing If you have found yourself listening to somebody or reading somebody that is all about the accusations all the time, that is not of God. It's demonic. Satan's job to accuse. And the Lord said to Satan, I rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, look, I have chosen Jerusalem and I rebuke you. And then he points to Joshua. Check this out. And he says, isn't this the brand uh, or the stick that I plucked from the fire? Didn't we just read that? Something being plucked from the fire. And now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with what? Filthy garments. There it is. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. The stench and the stain. See, that's the thing. You step beyond the limits. You incur a stench and a stain. You can't wash it off. Jesus alone washes the stench and the stain. Jesus alone And he says, I've taken it away from you, and I'm going to take those rotten clothes, we're going to burn them, and I'm going to give you a brand new set of clothes. You'll have innocence, the stench and the stain. Somebody wrote a book one time with the title, Rid of My Disgrace, or Rid of Your Disgrace. Beautiful gospel title, right? So this idea is everywhere. So where have we been so far? We've seen... Uh, the digression in these two verses and the repercussions that come as doubt grows into deconstruction, grows into distancing. Then we considered the question, how as a family do we respond? And we look to our father, some very clear statements in this letter, but also throughout all of scripture. And we learn that in all situations, God's family is to respond with mercy, sympathy and kindness, not condemnation. Now for our third point, let's just consider this idea of deconstruction a little bit. And uh, we'll just say that the reality of deconstruction. To get us started in this portion, I just want to draw your attention to a quote that I find very helpful. It's from uh, Dr. Eric Mason, who's uh, also a pastor. He pastors in Philly, my second favorite pastor in Philly. Um, and he says, and the reason I like this definition is, I'm a simple man and it's three words long, okay? So that's helpful. But I also like it because this definition gives the benefit of the doubt to people. And I think that's the posture that Jesus would have us take. So um, you can listen to a podcast. In fact, he's, he's written on this. And he'll expand that definition if you'd like to know more. But this is a good starting point. Deconstruction is evaluating core beliefs. That's what we're talking about. So... As we think about the work of evaluating core beliefs, to add some nuance to the word deconstruction, because that's what we want, right? Uh, I think it's helpful for us to think in three categories, or maybe three types of deconstruction. Are there more than that? Probably, but I think these essentially capture what we need to be thinking about in terms of deconstruction. And so just uh, to give credit where credit is due, I took the word evaluating and the word beliefs from Eric Mason's definition and then I put my own words in and here are my three categories. The first one is reevaluating my beliefs to make certain, to make certain. This work is important and we need to seek it out. I'll come back to that. The second category of deconstructing is reevaluating my beliefs to make sense, to make sense of life. Um, This deconstruction is inevitable, it's inescapable, but you don't need to seek it out. It will seek you out, okay? I'll come back to that. And the third one is a deconstruction as evaluating or reevaluating my beliefs to make space, to make space between me and the God who created me, to make space between me and my God's family, to make space between me and his authority, his word, right? Uh, this deconstruction is imprudent, it's unwise, and it will take you out. It'll take you out. So I think, I think these three categories are helpful. Uh, let's just take them one at a time briefly. The first one, reevaluate, and you guys can leave those up on the screen for now, reevaluating my beliefs to make certain. Uh, this is super important. So who in the room needs to deconstruct? everybody in the sound booth. Is it going that badly this morning? Sorry, guys. Um, need to deconstruct, guys. There, there is stuff, and this isn't just a Christian idea, but um, we're here as God's family talking about it as it relates to our followership of Jesus, so we can, we can keep it there. But I would say if you're visiting and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, if you have not deconstructed elements of your core beliefs, evaluated them, proved their, found their validity, their beauty, it's not just about truthfulness. And it's about beauty as well, like an ethical beauty to it. Um, uh, then what are you doing? Like, can you really claim that those core beliefs have validity if you have not done the work of dismantling them, letting them bear some weight, find out they bear weight and then put them back together and good, go. But this isn't just an exercise for Christians. Um, Look, if you grew up Baptist, you got some deconstructing to do. If you grew up in your grandparents' Methodist church, you got to deconstruct. Presbyterian, Anglican, um, Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran. If you grew up in a small country church where the parking lot was, or all the country churches, I remember growing up, like, Uh, there were no yards, it was just all cemetery around the the church. You, You know what I'm talking about? If that's where you grew up, you have stuff to deconstruct. If you grew up in pews with orange carpet and you had American flag, Christian flag, you had, this was, there was like a 10 commandment shaped tablet right here with last week's offering numbers. And oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're starting next week. Next week. Offering. They would even have like budget shortfall and stuff, no joke. And then over here, the Ten Commandment tablet that was over here was the hymn numbers. You remember that? Hymns, uh, not preferred pronoun like he, him, her. Uh, <laughs> hymn is a, it's a book with songs in it and musical notes, okay? That's a hymn, hymn book. Anyway, that's a hymn book. You gotta deconstruct. If you grew up in a storefront church, if you grew up with fog machines and stage lights. You got to deconstruct. Guys, if you attend Pillar Church for your entire time in Pillar Okinawa, if this is your view the whole time, there will be things that you need to deconstruct, okay? All we're saying, deconstruction is the daily work of bringing the faith structure that I inherited from my parents or my people. And if you can think of it as a foundation with a framework built on top of it. And, uh, kind of similar to Mike Rowe, but you've seen like those extreme home makeover shows, right? And very often it's just cosmetic work or remodeling, but occasionally, and maybe some of you have purchased homes like this. Nick, I know we've talked about this. You get into a place and you want to remodel it and you find out you just have to rip it down. All the walls, even you get in behind the studs, into the studs and they're rotten or infested with termites. It's coming down. Deconstruction is the work of peeling back the layers checking the health, the beauty, the truthfulness against God's word, against our father's voice, and being willing to deconstruct anything that is not true or beautiful or aligned with what Jesus has said. Jesus led people to deconstruct. Uh, You know, uh, maybe the most common way he would say it in in the gospels is, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, You've heard that it was said. Lots of people have told you about Jesus. You've read books about Jesus. You've heard about Christianity. You've heard countless sermons and podcasts. What does Jesus have to say about the things that have been said about him? you got to deconstruct. you got to bring it all Following Jesus is one big invitation to deconstruct for the rest of your life, meaning daily you are now, Jesus is your authority, so you surrender self-authority, so any preconceived ideas about uh, your social views, your political views, your sexual views, your financial views, right on down the line, you bring them to Jesus, you deconstruct them, you find what is true and beautiful, and Jesus reconstructs on the foundation of the gospel. It's important. you got to seek it out, Okay. We're going to move on from that one. My beliefs to make sense. This one, um, this is what happens in trauma. This is what happens in crisis. This is what happens in abuse. This is what happens in extreme loss. This is what happens after a divorce. This is what happens after incredible pain. And we think of people like Job. This happened to Job we think of people like David and the words that a Job or a David would say, where are you, God? How much longer will this be? I can't see you. I can't hear you. Are you ever going to answer me back? And this is where we deconstruct, God, are you really there? God, are you really good? God, are you really just? Can I really trust you? Because I don't feel any of those things right now in this pain. And all I can really say about that is, you, well, first of all, you don't want to seek it out, but you can't seek it out. It's going to seek you out in this lifetime. And somebody else can't walk it through for you. There's not a book that can walk it Your soul will have to go through this season. Um, you're going to go through it. But what I would say about these first two, making certain and making sense Last week, the passage we consider in Jude gives us the safety framework, if you will, on how to entertain our doubts and deconstruct in a healthy, life-giving way. Remember last week, we learned about building each other up in our most holy faith? So we learned about a foundation, a family, and a fight? That's where you deconstruct. That's where you entertain doubts in the middle of a safe family, not in isolation. Doubts and isolation turn to despair, turn to deconstruction, turns to a uh, casting off of God's uh, good authority and it's self-destruction, okay? So doubt and deconstruction in a safe community. So admittedly, some of us have been a part of churches where it wasn't safe to ask hard questions. It wasn't safe to share that I'm doubting some core belief, right? So it is key that you're part of a family where it's safe and it's beautiful. Part of a family, the doubting and the deconstruction happens on the foundation of the gospel, right? It happens there, and that's where we rebuild. Um, and it happens with the acknowledgement of the fight. In other words, where Jude says, we want to be part of a family that's committed to building us up, building each other up in the most holy faith. Be part of a family that will be kind, compassionate, show mercy, encourage the questions, uh, be with you in the doubts help you deconstruct in submission to Jesus, and all along the way be committed to fighting for your joy. Right? That's where doubts and deconstruction happen in a a healthy way. Uh, Finally, reevaluating my beliefs to make space. This is imprudent, and that's what takes you out. There's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12, it goes like this. There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. That is deconstruction to make space. When the motive of your deconstruction is to distance yourself from God, to call into question the reliability of his word, to point out all the hypocrisies of his family so you can be free from that accountability as if you're not also a hypocrite at some level. Like when those are your motives, it seems right to you, but that distancing will always result in death. But it seems right. seems right. Uh, recently, I was, um, uh, I've been reading and following Lecrae as he's been very public in his own personal conversation, his journey. Boy, that's so small. I'm sorry, guys. Can you read that? All right, good. Um, as he's been sharing from his own journey in, in some deconstruction, look at what he says. He says, one type of deconstruction actually involves using scriptures to deconstruct unhealthy ideas and practices. That's what we we're talking about, the first one. Christ himself did this by deconstructing the Pharisees, right? That's what we said. You've heard it said, but I say to you, using Scripture to challenge things. Healthy, okay? Then he says this. Many millennials, uh, he he is a millennial, so don't be offended, millennials, okay? We are using culture to challenge Scripture. Uh, This often leads to culture taking precedence over Scripture, and sadly, people begin to deconstruct themselves out of the faith. We begin to question the Bible because it doesn't line up with culture. Unhealthy. And then just two more quick things. He says, so people look outside of God for answers and find themselves being thrown around by every wind and wave of doctrine. I've been here. Where God and morality are out of the picture, you now have license to make decisions that can wreck your marriage, family, mental health, and body. That third category of deconstruction is all about license and freedom, okay? Last, last piece. Lastly, deconstruction is only part two of a healthy faith. The goal is not to tear everything down and live there. First is construction, then deconstruction, then reconstruction. Reconstruction leads to a stronger faith where you've thrown out unhealthy views and see Christ clear. That's why you've got to do the hard work of deconstruction. In the family, uh, a family committed to fighting with and for you on the foundation of the gospel. Uh, Just fantastic writing uh, from Lecrae. I really appreciate his willingness to share so publicly. Um, It's good. Uh, That was on Twitter. Again, your parents. I know you guys are rocking the TikTok, but... uh, uh, Twitter, it's just like an alternative form of social media that predates uh, what you're all using now, okay? That's where I follow your parents and your, gra- and your grandparents. Paul says something about this in Galatians. What do we do when people in our family distance, right? They've deconstructed, they distance. He said in Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, there it is again. Even in the distancing, when deconstruction has come full bloom, still kindness, gentleness, real clarity, right? Hard conversations. This is the snatching out of the fire conversation, but gentleness and kindness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, let me just, I just need to say uh, maybe one thing before we finish. What, what is our responsibility as a family if we have done everything we can to snatch out of the fire and to call somebody back? But they are intent on maintaining a profession of faith in Jesus, but living beyond the limits. Or maybe they let the uh, confession of faith go and they just press full on out into limits beyond God's kind kingship. What, is it, what does sympathy and kindness and compassion look like there? I want to show you a verse that's not going to feel like sympathy or mercy or kindness, but I want to show you how it is. Okay? We've done this as a church family, maybe not recently, so if you're new, it's not something you've experienced. This is 1 Corinthians 5 actually taken out of a chapter where there was incredible incredible sexual brokenness, right? There was a man living way beyond God's good limits for sexual expression. And so he says to the church, after you've done everything to pursue him, to be kind, to be compassionate, to snatch him out of the fire, but he persists. When you gather, I want you to publicly deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, if we took a vote right now, who's voting mercy and compassion? Because it doesn't feel that way, does it? Here's what Paul is saying. Here's what the Father's calling us to, and Jude would affirm, and here's why it's merciful. If it is true that life beyond the limits destroys you and destroys your soul... And it is true that God calls us to love and to show mercy. Would it ever be loving or merciful to affirm somebody's life beyond the limits of God's good kindness? No, it would not. The most loving thing for us to do after we have exhausted weeks and months of patiently loving and pursuing and urging and encouraging and calling back, But are met with a resolute no, I'm gone. I'm pressing beyond the limits. This is the father calls us to a radical act of mercy, and here's why it is an act of mercy we are saying, Okay, you're gone. So that you understand, we need to publicly say, Your intention to keep going and be gone is an evidence that you are not in submission to Jesus, likely not one of his kids, maybe, but we don't know. It's in question now. And that likely you rather are pursuing Satan rather than God, pursuing your own autonomy, your own freedom, your own self-fulfillment. And it's going to destroy you, not just in this lifetime, but you will be met with judgment and condemnation when Jesus returns. And that's the last thing that we want for you. So here's our prayer as a family that would be shaped by 1 Corinthians 5. The prayer in that, notice he says, for the destruction of the flesh, meaning That in going beyond the limits hard, they would hit rock bottom. That the consequences, the stench and the stain would become overwhelming and overbearing. That they would get their fill of everything they want and find out that they're not satisfied. They're starving. And that in this lifetime, they would cry out to Jesus for mercy and receive it rather than taking the rebellion to the grave and meeting with judgment. That is why this is the most compassionate thing that we can do, the kindest thing. It's not done rudely. It's not done publicly. It's not done to manipulate. The goal at this step is always reconciliation and restoration accompanied with a posture of kindness. The hope being that this person will cry out to Jesus for mercy as they hit rock bottom and run back to the God who gives it and run back to his family in this lifetime. You've got to take a long view with this, though. It's not short. We as a family have walked this out multiple times here in Okinawa, and I will be honest with you. We have yet to see somebody who has pressed beyond the limits for whom we've had to take these steps, hit that rock bottom, cry out to Jesus for mercy, and run back. But we can't take a short view in this, guys. It's a, long, it's a lifelong view. And I believe that in this lifetime, each of those people that we have taken this step with will hit rock bottom and will cry out to Jesus and will receive mercy because God promises that he forever keeps his kids, the doubting ones, the deconstructing ones, and yeah, even the distancing ones. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Straight up distancing right there. What did his dad do for him when he came home? Remember? A couple things. Ran down the driveway, gave him a kiss, threw him a party, big party. But what was really significant? What did he give him? A ring and change of clothes. Just like Jude said. That's our hope, right? The mercy of Christ. And that's why that is a kind step. All right, I got to be done. I need to show mercy to you. Uh, let me just close. This, these are lyrics from a song that we're going to sing. Grant, if you and the team want to come forward, um, I know we didn't talk a lot about that middle category of deconstruction that seeks you out in trauma and pain. But I think it would be appropriate for us as a family to acknowledge that there are multiple people here this morning who are in that kind of a season. And I want you to know that this is a safe family for you to be in. You can express all of the doubts, you can express all of the fears. You can express all of the emotions. You can tell the truth about where you are. And you will find, I pray, a merciful and kind and not perfect, but attempt at kindness. That is our, our, our hope. And we just want to acknowledge that there are some of you in this room this morning who are in this season. And it will be a long season. And it will be dark. But we love you. And we are committed to you. And we believe. That as weeks turn into months, turn into seasons, turn into years, that the dark clouds that surround you now will break with evidences of God's mercy in your life. And we hope to be a part of that dispersing of the clouds, okay? Let's sing together.